Valuable electronic parts containing platinum are being stolen from shipments made by Stanwide Mining Equipment Company's cargo planes. And Frank and Joe Hardy are called upon to assist their world-renowned detective father solve the baffling case. At Stanwide, the boys pose as employees and become suspicious of their boss's hostility toward them. Is he involved in the racket? And what is the truth behind the plane crash at sea in which Clint Hill, chief pilot for Stanwide, was killed? Frank and Joe launch an aerial search for clues to the Platinum Thieves' hideout, believing that they will also uncover the mystery behind Hill's accident. The puzzling trail of clues leads the young sleuths to an uninhabited Caribbean island near the scene of the plane crash, then to a mountaintop in Montana and a danger-filled showdown with a band of thieves. But the final discovery and most startling and exciting revelation of all is made in the boys' hometown of Bayport. Franklin W. Dixon fans will find suspense action in many breathtaking flying episodes in this movie. That's gonna be a terrible mystery. The mystery of the tapeworm. The mystery of Chad's tapeworm. Oh, that's gonna be fucking awesome. And then they shrink themselves down and they go into his belly. Fantastic voyage. Yeah. And they fight the tapeworm. It's 2017 and everyone gets a podcast. Mine is the Hardy Boys Drink Book. Each episode, I sit down with creative and hilarious people to talk about a book in the Hardy Boys Mystery Series. Then we have one of our favorite bartenders mixes up a custom cocktail to drink while we read. It really helps with all the logical inconsistencies. Today, I'm joined by playwright Josh Hartwell, and our drink was created by Tracy Ann Hickman and William Joseph Chapman III at Racine. Get a job, survive a tornado, and take the shortest Caribbean vacation ever in The Great Airport Mystery. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. I am here with Josh Hartwell, playwright, director. Josh, thank you so much for being on the show. Hey, oh, yeah. I thought you... Yeah, I'm, I'm here and I'm happy to be. Good. I'm glad that you're here. Was that a, was that a non-intro for you? Sure. I, no, that's great. That's right. We'll, we'll find our feet. Our we'll find our footing as we go. So, Josh, you always have a thousand things that you're working on. What are you working on right now? I'm working on about a thousand things right now, and one of them is uh, I am readapting Christmas Carol. I had adapted it for puppets and masks, and now the uh, Miner's Alley doesn't want the puppets and masks. What? So I am re-readapting it for actors who will play non-puppet and mask. Ma- uh, puppets and masks are Christmas Carol with no puppets. That's yeah, weird. I I mean, or Muppets. It's just or Muppets. people. It's just people just talking. Like, people. like meat sticks talking at you. It's, it should be an interesting take on the project. Though. Yeah. Well, we'll see what happens. Yeah. I mean, and I mean, Christmas time is a good time to do that show. We're doing it around Christmas time. That's great. Uh, we're also doing Resolutions uh, at a different theater, which is a play that I wrote. And uh, that's about uh, New Year's Eve and people get hurt. Well, I really like a Christmas time play that's not about Christmas. I think we have enough Christmas plays. True. That was the goal. And uh, so I'll have two things running simultaneously. Uh, during the holidays, and I'm in one of them. Okay, that's awesome. Um, and our mutual friend, Missy Moore, is directing Resolutions, She's right? directing Resolutions, yeah. Great. Missy, I want you on the show. Call me. Be on the show. I'm sure she's listening. Yes, I'm sure she's listening later at a future date. All right, well, I am excited to jump into this story because it is bonkers. Josh, you say you haven't read a Hardy Boys book before? This is my very... This book popped my Hardy Boys cherry. That's horrible. What were your first impressions of the book? Especially well, as from a writer's perspective, I'm oh interested. Well, for, well, hold on for, to that. Okay. But, but my first impression was, because I didn't even know the Hardy... There was this um, 
Hardy Boys TV show that oh, yeah. was in syndication like in the 70s or something. Right. The and feathered hair. Yeah, the, the, the Moppet. But they were like in their 20s or something. Yeah. Like close to 30. I don't know. They seemed really old when I was a kid. But these guys, I learn very early on that they are 17 and 18. And yes. then I look at the picture on the front cover and I'm like, that artist doesn't know how to draw 17 or 18 year olds because those kids are clearly 14 and 13. Right. And they don't act like any – they're this weird combination of, like, nine-year-olds and, like, grizzled war veterans. And – and but nobody in this in the, this book acts like actual people at no, all. No. No one which acts is, like a person. Which is writing lesson number one for, for the dude who wrote it. How would a human – Dixon. Yeah, F.W. Dixon. Actually – that's a good point as any to talk a little bit about the history of the Hardy Boys books. The Hardy Boys mystery series were written by Franklin W. Dixon, who is better known as the inventor of the Dixon bird call, in the 1920s, and they were heavily rewritten in the 1950s to make the books more PC, to cut about 100 pages from each book, Thank uh, God. a little less racist in some of them. They really went out of their way to update the books to the 1950s. And, I mean, it, it you can tell that they have all of the... Most up-to-date crime-fighting techniques, like pockets full of scraps of paper. An envelope that he could put the scraps of paper into, and uh, they know how to... And Well, I mean, it's not even just the things that they have; they happen to have on them. Right. Um, Always It's, the, it's the, just the skills that, that comes yes. with each hardy boy. They're really talented and strapping young lads. They are strapping, and I noticed it didn't, it didn't, didn't really do anything for me, but in that, that picture of them jumping from the hand grenade... It mm-hmm. does look a little like they're about to uh, fuck each other. Uh, I'm, we're finding I, the picture right now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It looks I, like it, it's I a think little, that's, that's a little Joe. sodomy. A little sodomy. Joe is lying prone, and uh, Frank is leaping he's, onto him. He's like, "It's it's a hand grenade. Jump!" Uh, oh man, I'm sorry. Oh. I landed. It wasn't a hand grenade, but man, this joke again, Frank. <laughs> yeah, it's the third hand grenade this week. Uh, but those boys are taught to just duck and cover. So. I guess that's that's Safe. what you are when you're when you're a teenage sleuth. Yes, they're sleuthing. So, okay, I'm going to jump right into the story. The book starts with the boys driving home. They're just late, right? Yeah, it's laid out, and they're in their convertible. They make that very clear that they're driving a convertible. Yeah, and so um, am I. Am I just taking it? Yeah, just okay. go whenever you want. Uh, and then there, there's a barricade, and right. they decide to move the barricade so that they can take this. I think it's a shortcut or just a, yeah. a different way home. And then, which um, I'm gonna stop right there. Yeah. If you're driving and you see somebody's blocked off a road with a barricade, the first thought through your head shouldn't be, "Oh, well, let's move that barricade." But and they drive put it down back, it. which is that's so Hardy Boy. Yeah, yeah, right. Very They're like, it's a barricade for them. It's but really, not. it's really not for us. We we know our shit, man. Yeah, we, exactly. I mean, we know how to get around barricades, but the layman may not. So let's put it back, just put so it back. they're safe. Right. And then they get hit by a fucking plane. Yeah. And right. it's like. Maybe you guys shouldn't have moved the barricade. Right. Maybe this road is a plane road. Yeah. So they're driving along and they hear rifle shots and they're like, is someone shooting at us? Which I wouldn't immediately assume. But the Hardy Boys, of course, they're like, someone People is shooting. People are shoot- always shooting at them. Right. Except for throughout the rest of the book when everyone has a gun and no one ever actually aims it at them. Yeah. They just threaten them, yeah. finger the muzzle of it, which I thought was really weird. But yeah, the, after they hear the rifle shots, the, this plane comes down very north by northwest. They're like, oh God, it's going to crash into us. The tire of it. Hits the roof of their convertible. Right. 
And did then, you get that? Like, did I, they put the hood up, the top up at any point? Yeah, Maybe. they said it was a convertible, but then it hit it hit the top of it. And so it was it just over. a convertible; it just wasn't converted. Right? My, they didn't say that. <laughs> I had to look at the picture to yeah. to glean like, that. It's not a convertible. But yeah, the plane. But thank God the hood. I mean, they would have. They would Joe would have been decapitated just by dead. that wheel. Yeah, that. Thank God, it happens a lot in this that you're like, oh well, thank God, Jesus. But yeah, so the plane sort of skims. That's crashing. Sort of skims the roof of the car, and the car turns onto its side Mm -hmm. and the boys scramble out of it looking for like the wreckage of the plane crash but there isn't any and there's this old man yeah who's like deaf or something well he pretends for a while for like one scene he is yeah he's deaf and then later he gets he's all right it it becomes irrelevant yeah exactly (laughs) my favorite thing about this is that once that guy like scares them off and they're like we should get out of here they just rock the car until they 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 use the big sticks and they they put it back on its on its uh, tires on on its front um, not its front. I feel it's like it, the engine would be flooded. The tires would have popped. You know what? Like... I don't know shit about cars. Neither do I. Okay. And that's from someone who knows one of my favorite moments growing up. My dad, my car was broken and we opened the hood of it. My dad stared at it. And after a second, he went, might as well be a human heart. Mm. And just slammed the car. And right. I was like, that's, yeah, that's the family I yeah. come from. Not yeah, a big but car You're family. not a hardy boy. No, that's right. They, they just, know. They knew. They could like sense that the car was probably okay if it just kept The, the frame wasn't bent or whatever. They had some dings. They're, yeah they're fine so they go home they tell their parents about it and everyone has this very like jolly attitude about it that well, like well the dad i'm gonna say fenton yeah he's got some he, he's got some big issues yes i wish that they would have like you were saying that they made it more pc i wish they would have not kept it so pc because i think the dad's a little bit drunk the whole time oh yeah and laura hardy is clearly taking some pills to like she's constantly like slightly apprehensive but gertrude is like what is wrong with you people just sending your kids on the that's far too dangerous and And the dad doesn't do shit i know the dad is not a real was never a real detective and he's and he he, because he's his answer to everything is like i i got some stuff i got called out why don't you guys go why don't you guys go do that my fan theory is that fenton hardy is actually like running a massive criminal racket and uses his boys either to take out his competition or just to run interference. Because he always, like, he seems to have information he shouldn't have about the criminals. And he's like, oh, I mean, not particularly in this one. But sometimes he can send off fingerprints and then five hours later be like, we got the results of the fingerprints. Yeah, but as soon I mean, everybody knows. As soon as Dixon introduces each character who ends up being a villain, you're like, oh, God, that guy's going to be a Cause villain. Because he names them villain He's like, names. this guy's a dick. Yeah. And he's like, th- and, and then, so this guy shows up, and he's really nervous, and he's sweating a lot as he introduces himself, and he's and he's kind of a jerk to the kids. I'm like, well, if he's not the villain, then that's really cool, because... Right. It's a head trip. He I keep hoping that somebody's going to be a jerk to the kids, and it's going to turn out that they were, like, the good guy. Yeah. But it, it happen- does. Is not it just this book? No, no books. Oh. There's, like, not a lot of surprises. So here's my theory about Dixon. Okay. Aside from the invention of the bird call, right. the Dixon bird call, which I think is the best bird call. I sure. Mean, when I used to go hunting, that was what always caught me the birds. Most birds. The things that yeah. I was hunting. The birds. Yeah. Um, helped you beg the grouse the, the, is the a bird. Snipe, the snipe chickens. Chicken. <laughs> yeah. When you went chicken hunting. The, the wild chicken hunting. Right. Bird call. Um. So thank you, Dixon, for that. Sure. However, I don't think he wrote these books. I think, and I, I strongly believe this, these were written by committee because there is no consistency throughout this book. It's like, I think it's like, and it's not like get together, map it out, and then write, no, and it's then like, write it together. It's like, I'm writing this book, and then I'm going to hand it off. Because like for the California thing, it's like, 
so these guys are going to go to California. I'm like, cool, they're going to get to go to California. And then right. the next page, it's like, oh, but they didn't get to go they to California. They didn't get to go to California. It's like the next guy took over the book and he's like, I don't like them going to California. I'm going to have them not go to California and I'm going to have them stay there. And then the next guy is like, yeah, but then they're going to, but then they're in no, the, they, this helicopter and then there's a fucking tornado. And then this other guy's all like, right, all right, we're yeah, getting but it. nothing's going to happen with that. We're going to introduce no, no, that it's tornado. Fine. But that happens. There was there. It seems to be that there's like this editorial mandate that every chapter has to end with a cliffhanger. But then, because of that, some of the cliffhangers are incredibly boring. And, and here's what I need to t- tell Dixon: is that cliffhangers have to amount to something. Right. It's not like you introduce it and it's scary, and then it just goes away the next sentence. Yeah. What that's sort of the writing style it's, of the time, I it's, guess. It's or or it's Dixon saying, "I don't feel like writing all these books, man. Hey <laughs> yeah, guys, exactly. can you help me write this? Can I get and a group the, the other of people?" Dudes are like, uh, "I'm not, I'm not too into that. Uh, they're on an island. That's boring. I'm gonna have them get off the island right away." Okay. Well, so we got off track. One of my favorite I'm sorry, things. Ask your question. I'm sure they're important. Yes. What I was gonna say is, I really liked how Fenton tricked the boys into getting a summer job. That's what it seemed like it was. Is he's like, they're just hanging around the house all day. So he's like, boys, there's a mystery at the airfield. Yeah. So I got you jobs as delivery boys, but don't tell anybody. Which just... was great. And yeah. I thought, this is going to go somewhere. How are they going to keep this this going on? While they're and, trying to. And then they kept it going on for like four pages. And right. then they're like, this is too dangerous. We can't do this. I'm like, wait a second. So that's hey, the man. thing. They go to their, they go to the ghost, or they go to the job and they meet their new boss. Uh, the totally guy who hired guy. them. Totally I knew he was going to be great. I yeah. liked him. Mr. Allen. Had a little He's, crush on Mr. Allen. I yeah. really liked him. Super nice. Tells the boys, like, I got you a job where you can go anywhere on the on the airfield and investigate anything. And then they meet their boss, whose name is, like, Mr. Rodax. Yeah, Rodax, right away, I was like, man, that guy better be a villain. Or he yeah. should die. And I wish people would die. I didn't realize I nobody died in these books. Uh, I wish people would Sometimes people do nobody die. Nobody smokes. Nobody drinks. Nobody, nobody dies. dies. Yeah. Come on, man. That's not real Come on, life. Dixon. Yeah. Oh, one thing that they find out while they're at this airfield, though, is that there's a ghost pilot. Mm-hmm. That was a weird thing. It's like this creepy voice that comes over the radios. Yeah. And uh, and it's his old friend, Clint Hill, which yeah. is all the pilots have these great pilot names. That Clint are things... Hill is a little gay porn star. Yeah. Right. Well, they're, they're like right on the line. All of their names. I'm like, could either be a gay porn star or a uh, ace pilot. True. Uh, I don't remember the other names, and I'm not going to look them up. No, there's a yeah, I know. There's I, way too many. There's characters. a ton of names. Yeah, and, and they, they introduce like, them all in like the first ten pages. I'm like, I a 35 year old white man. Yeah, yeah. And, and I hope you. I was like, I hope he doesn't ask me specific questions about the no. history of each guy because I was like, I I have to think of this. T- I have to think of my nephew for for what's his name Madden because my nephew. Oh, that's Madden. right, Madden. I, was like, I have to picture them, and it's that's why I don't read. Right. Too much to keep yeah. track of. That's why you write. Because yeah. then you're in charge yeah. of all of that. Yeah, so they meet their shitty, like, boss who tells them, like, you aren't going to last a day. He's a great guy. Yeah. Great. Oh, no, no. You mean... Oh, Dix- no. You mean... Uh, Ro- Rodax. Rodax. Rodax, or whatever his name was. Rat poisoning. Um, he sounds like rat poisoning. Yeah, he sounds like a Ninja Turtles bad guy to me. I don't know. Like, Rodax! They... While they're walking around meeting the new head pilot who took over after Clint Hill died in the That's plane Peterson, crash... Peterson, right? Peterson. You're doing better than I am. We'll see how this goes. What's going to happen? This is one of those weird Hardy Boys things. They hear a wooden, like it's something fall on the ground. And they turn around. They're in this perfectly clean air hangar. And there's one wooden plank laying on the ground. Yeah, so the plank is there. And it's and apparently that's a big clue. Um, so they go home. They tell everybody. They tell their dad everything that happened. They go back to work. And they have a really bad day at work. Oh, that's when the machine start, starts to fall in. Right. Well, first, their boss just makes them work all day. 
which really and it's really hard work yeah it's running all over delivery mail but they're doing a great job they're doing a great job but they're like we barely have any time to be sleuthing which that was part of it where i was like yeah because you guys this is just a summer job true but then a large like you said their spider sense goes off they feel something about to happen they leap out of the way and like a airplane engine or something yeah and then it embeds embeds itself into the concrete below yeah heavy shit that is that would have fucked them up yeah they would have been found later like with as the they little moved feet, with the, like, yeah like the wicked witch Which of the, the east, east exactly um but they get out of the way no problem fine. it's fine but then they quit they're like this job's too hard yeah, and dangerous. Yeah, and they want to devote their time to much, to sleuthing, to sleuthing, which, which which could be could be dangerous yes. in a different world where there are people who actually shoot at each other and don't and and threaten each other. But they think that two teenage boys quitting their summer job after one really hard day would be too suspicious. So they have to get fired, which I'm like, that's the most reasonable thing ever. Like, no, those boys yeah. came here, were super entitled, and then worked a hard day. And yeah, there was an industrial accident, but like, but, but the, it's clever thinking. I mean, right? Because um, so they just show Mr. Up a is yeah. like, you guys got to get yourselves fired, and and then so they just show up like two hours late, late, right? Yeah, and they get fired because the guy's looking for a uh, for a reason to fire them. And why is that? Because he's the bad guy, and he had a guilty conscience. <laughs> he had a guilty like, conscience. These kids, are, these kids are too clever for me. Right. I don't want them hanging these around. Two little man children are very clever. Everybody th- seems to think that getting rid of the Hardys will get them off the case. They're like, they'll get distracted by another mystery, which knowing them could totally happen. That like a clue to a mystery that's unrelated to this would take them off. In a but they're pit bulls. Yeah, exactly. They stay on it. They decide to go f- for a plane ride. Why are they? Is this the? They basically oh. just decide like we need to take oh, pictures to from take the... the photographs. Oh, of where the they plane crashed. Yeah, there's they a lot of plane. Lot. There's a lot of plane stuff, which is kind airport of giving away the great airport mystery. Right, exactly. Um, but if they, yeah, if it was called the great airport mystery and there no, no flying, oh my god, I'd be even more disappointed. So disappointing. Really, though, he could have been like, well, it was at an airport. I never promised. I, ne- I never, never said, said it, it was the great, great airborne. airborne. Yeah, exactly. Mystery, mystery. suckers. Oh, this is a perfect example of the uh, of the cliffhanger thing, though, because they go on this plane ride and they go out to where the plane that they saw crashed and they see like a big clearing that's clearly a runway, even though like it's not long enough. I'm like, there's a runway. And there's a cabin that they see and then the plane engine dies just randomly. Yeah. And they start like, oh, no, we're going to crash. I thought they were going to be dead and the rest of the book was going to be everyone mourning. Everyone mourning the Hardy Boys for 120 pages. That's what I thought. But instead, it's fine. It was was totally cool. It's fine. Uh, They they took great photos. Yep. They – Jerry, their pilot. They they didn't make a single mistake in the taking of the photos and the bringing it to the photo mat except they left the camera – Oh yeah, in the, plane, in the plane with a bunch of shady characters leaving planks on footprints and stuff, and they should have said, "Well, there's that one dude who left the plank on the footprints." Yeah, he's probably, probably still sneaking around, and uh, so their camera gets ripped off. Yeah, so yeah, they go, they go talk, and Peterson tells them, "Like I'm being haunted by Clint Hill. I can hear his voice on my radio. It's scaring me." Peterson's the new head pilot, and uh, yeah, then they go back to the plane. They find out that their pictures have been stolen and their camera. So. They call their buddies, right? To this help is the them, best part. Where they help them tail people. They got a fat kid and they got a kid who can box. Yeah. Chet, Morton, and Biff Cooper. I really liked how Alan last episode was like, yes, those are their real names. Chet and Biff. Chet's um, great. Oh, Chet, I know. Chet's the star of the... 
Everybody is the hero of this book. He's is, everybody's favorite. Is he yeah. the is he the hero of every book? I feel like he those is. kids would be dead in that. Yes, I mean, basically, what's happening is that they've called Chet and Biff, and they're going to split up and follow all the different suspects who work at the who work at the airport. When Zim comes out, he told Biff, "You take the car and follow him. I, I want to question the shop owner." But when will he join up? His friend asked. Frank reached into his pocket and took out an emergency detective kit. From it, he extracted a packet containing small pieces of vivid red paper and handed it to Biff. As you drive, he told him, drop some of this paper every few seconds. That will leave a trail I can follow later. But what if I turn out, what if I run out of paper? Biff asks. If you have to follow Zim that far, said Frank, stay with him and find out where he goes. Then retrace your route. I'll be following the trail on foot for as far as it takes me. Okay. I'm okay with that being the whole thing. They One, why does he have an emergency detective kit? What is in an emergency detective kit? Because everything is an emergency. Right. When you're a detective. Yeah. And you got to have one in your pocket. This guy knows. But like, that was crazy. They've never had this before. And like a literal paper trail? I've never heard of a literal paper trail. Maybe there's more to it. Maybe we're just not reading enough into it. Nope, that's all there is. Oh, uh, okay. I just checked. Um, but yeah, what? That couldn't have been a real thing. That like, just throw pieces of paper out that's, your window? That's um, the kind of thing when I'm teaching playwriting and a playwright is super lazy and they can't figure out how to solve a problem. They just come up with horrible things like that. Yeah. And you're like, but people don't do that. And that's never happened. And oh, you're my like, God. It, it and, did now. And, yeah. I mean... Yeah, that's that's always the excuse. I mean, it's like, well, but it did. He just did it. And it worked, didn't it? And no. Then, yeah, I guess it did. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I found that, that whole thing super weird. The, like, I'm going to throw pieces of paper out of the car. But then it made me think, like, if I'm ever kidnapped, I'm going to try to, like... Though the kidnappers would be like, why are you ripping up that Doritos bag and throwing it out the window every couple of... And then they're glittering. Yeah, but the key is you have to have a friend who Who knows knows? that you're doing it. Otherwise, it's just, god damn. Unless unless it's like a television detective who can be like, but look, there's a slip of Dorito. And then they walk a little bit more. It's Monk, right? There's no wind. Obviously, there's no no wind in New York. He knew that. Oh, god, that's right. It gets pretty bad. It See, gets so they, bad. Yeah, uh, Frank fights a masked man. I wrote down. I guess that's when they're doing all the following of people. They they follow people. They they're like look loitering around, the around houses. somebody's houses. I really like when that lady came out of her house and they're like, "What are you doing?" And he's like, "We're, we're like, looking for Mr. Wilson." She's like, "Why are you sneaking around my backyard then?" And then later they're like, "She it looked like she was telling the truth. She, yeah, j- oh, she wasn't. Got, she was just suspicious of us being incredibly here. good judges of character. These boys are. Uh, oh, that's when when they're all doing this crappy like following the suspects. Chet is following a suspect and he has brought like a bunch of sandwiches and uh and chocolate milk and chocolate milk right because he's on his third sandwich and i was picturing like a little chocolate milk but in the picture it's like it's like a it's a a glass long gallon yeah exactly so and poor chet dude i love chet and then he's got a can i spoil this yeah definitely and then one of the bad guys i don't remember which one catches up with him and dumps the chocolate milk in his face. Yeah, literally just grabs it and throws it and in his face. And that's that's as bad that's as dangerous as the as the bad as guys. As the bad really guys get. get. Yeah, really. Nobody I mean, they have guns, but No, they you know, instead decide to just smash like, the here you, here's some chocolate for your face, fat boy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so oh, when he shows 
So when he shows back up to Frank and Joe and they're like, what happened? And he's like, uh, well, uh, I saw, I saw the guy, but I was eating. I was eating. I was on my third sandwich. Chet's got a serious eating disorder. And he doesn't look that big in the picture. No, but like it's, it's the amount, either he's really he's leaned really into type. Yeah, he must. He's constantly on all or his adventures. He's got a tapeworm. Oh, or a tapeworm. Whew. That's going to be a terrible mystery. The mystery of the tapeworm. The mystery of Chet's tapeworm. Oh, that's going to be fucking awesome. And then they shrink themselves down and they go into his so belly. It's a fantastic voyage. Yeah. Oh my and they God. fight the tapeworm. So excited for that. Did they take their film? Because they had their camera was stolen. Their camera and the film was stolen. I don't remember if this is before or after. I think it's after what we were just talking about. Right. And they go into the, like the photo, photo mat, mat that's not yeah. photo mat. Um, and the guy doesn't figure it out. And then the other guy comes in. And he's like, those are my photos. And they're like, well, show them all. And he's like, those are all of them. I'm going to sue you. Okay, one. Wait a second. Those aren't all of them. Okay, that whole thing was weird. Because it's this guy who goes to the Photoshop to pick up his pictures. And there's these two teenage boys hanging out there. And he's like, I'm here for my photos. And they're like, those are our photos. Which would be the weirdest thing to happen to me ever. True. And then they're like, pull them all out. And he's super cagey. And immediately I'm like, these are private photos. Yeah, and they're like of his wife and stuff. Or or whatever, but like he clearly doesn't want to show you these photos, which means you probably don't want to see them. And then But they know, they know. They he's know. up to shit. Yeah. So then when they when he's like, I'll show them to you, and then he's like, There select. they are, that's it. <laughs> and he's clearly like selects a few photos. But then they find out they like wrestle them from him. Well, yeah, and they're saying, No, all of them, and then there are more, and then they and then they start fighting him. Right. No, he punches the photo oh, that that's dude, right. runs out the back, they catch up with him. They start fighting him, and they're and then he's like, "Whoa, I can't take it. I'm so, sorry." Yeah, and he hands him over. Come and to my apartment. There, and meet my wife and my and yeah. across the hall neighbor who is one of your bad guys. Yeah, and he was just picking up the photos for his neighbor, which I'm like, if that's the case, if my neighbor's like, "Can you go pick up some photos?" and all this weird stuff happens, I'm gonna be like, "You know what? I'm gonna leave these here. I'm gonna have my neighbor come get them himself." This is very weird. But yeah, but you don't think I like, wouldn't punch out the photo mat guy. No, that was the bad. But th- he was cool. I mean, he just he just. He punched the dude in the jaw, ran, and then he's like, okay, <laughs> I give up. I give and the up. guy back there is like, um, you could have given up before you punched me in the jaw, that's bro. Like a, that's like a middle school fight. Like you yeah. punch somebody and then you're like, I and give up. I don't up, really want to commit to this. <laughs> I just wanted to hit you. Um, yeah, so. So that happens. You find oh, right. out some other things. We like find out that, that all of the stand-wide bad guys or whatever are leaving on a cargo plane to California. That's right. This is my favorite part. Yeah. Like, Yay, we get to go to California. So I'm they're like, like into this. We're going to load up a plane and we're going to follow their plane, which I didn't really get that. Nobody's filing any flight plans or anything. That doesn't thing. exist in Just this world. Fire that it up. Actions. I noticed that doesn't exist in this world. Actual police work doesn't exist in no. this world at all. Cops don't do anything. Uh, per- parenting, not really. Very not a real much. thing. Even really managing company doesn't work the That's same true. way. Where you're like, just, you can just go and ask somebody for a plane to go somewhere, and mm-hmm. they take you there. And they take you there. And apparently, the Caribbean is three hours away from New York. Yeah, that's good to know. Um, yeah, you can make it there in a couple hours. But yeah, so now they're going to California, which I was so excited about. Yeah, and they're so they get they spend like two chapters getting ready for this trip. And then as they show up, right in time to get on their flight and take off, the pilot's like, I tried to call you. They left last night. Also, calling is really difficult. 
for these people. Yeah, I, I understand sh- it's ancient. It's I know like the thirties slash fifties. But they're like, I yeah, I tried to call you. Well, that we were at home, and then they're, they're always saying like, it won't reach. Uh, I can't call. It won't yeah, reach uh, that far. I mean, I can call this guy. Who can call that guy? Who can call the person? No, I realized when they were all splitting up to trail different suspects. I'm like, God, you guys need cell phones. It, it would solve a lot of problems. Yeah, if you could be like, all right, guy, Biff's like, I lost him. I'll come back and pick you up. And but, they need guns, and they need. Yeah, they need like alcohol. really just guns. Would be so. These boys have to start packing heat at and some they point. They need to get stoned a little bit. Yes, something. Yeah, I feel like these adventures would be way more fun for them if, if they Joe were just was a little tipsy. Joe, yeah, if Joe, Joe is was baked, baked the whole time. And he's would, like, wait, wait, a clue, man. I found the clue. And Frank, you guys, like, you 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 showed me that clue five times, Joe. Five times. Uh, Frank, you don't you don't think the ghost is like real, right? Because <laughs> like ghosts aren't real, right? They're not, right? man. That was just Chet. I told you, Chet okay. is just fucking with you, dude. Every time there's been a ghost in these books, it's not been a ghost. It's just Chet. God, I wish it would be a. Is ghost it always one Chet? Day. It's not always Chet. Usually, it's I like mean, some yeah. people in a graveyard doing like a signal to a plane, or mm. like um, there was rats in a piano in an old uh, ghost town like oh, dance man. hall. Oh. That was actually pretty scary because they were like, it's a ghost. And then instead, rats poured out of the piano, which was way scarier Worse than, than a ghost. ghost. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. And much more real. That would make me pee. I know. More than a ghost. Um, the amount that these boys don't pee their pants is super impressive to me. Oh, so they can't go to California now. They're like, we don't know where they went in California. We don't and, know. And I almost about. just quit. Yeah, I know. At that point. All of that lead up, they don't even go. I wanted to find out what California was like at that time. And are they going to meet some 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 celebrities? No. No, they didn't. But they so instead, they're like, we'll take a helicopter ride. And that's just as easy as getting a plane. It is. You, they just, just, call, call, you just call it up. And, and I had the impression that if they didn't find a pilot, they would have just been able to just grab it and that's the thing every time they're talking about all the complicated controls of the plane i was like honestly frank like if things go bad though just take the yoke because you probably know what you're doing frank knows a lot instinctively you could probably fly a helicopter Frank. and i think frank just kind of i think frank knows all of it and then he just he'll like see some clues and he'll be like i'm gonna let joe take this one right he's feeling a little down on himself uh, and then Joe's back there. Frank has made some pretty dumb mistakes. In one, he thought that... Um, we're not talking about one. We're talking about this one. We're talking about this one. That's right. And he, he makes zero dumb mistakes in this That one. is not true. Zero. He makes a really stupid mistake later. And we're going to get there. Frank is flawless in this. Uh, so they're they're taking this helicopter, and they're going to go out to where they... Where they saw that cabin and The stuff. cabin and the... Yeah. And the... Um, what is clearly a landing, landing strip. strip. Right. In the woods. Joe says, I'd like to learn how to fly one of these. And I was like, Joe, you probably know how to fly one of these. Have you tried? <laughs> Just grab it. <laughs> Just grab it. What can go wrong, man? We're in the air. <laughs> Just grab that stick and move you're, it. You're the hardy boys. You'll be fine. As he leveled the craft out on an easterly heading, Joe glanced to his right. Suddenly, the boy detective sat rigid in his seat and stared from the window with an expression of disbelief. <sighs> Look! He shouted frantically. The pilot spun the helicopter around to face the direction Joe was pointing. Moving toward them was a black funnel-shaped column of air, stemming from the base of an intensely dark cloud. It looks like a tornado, Frank yelled. It is, Mac exclaimed. They generally move in a northeasterly direction, about 30 to 40 miles an hour. We might be able to outrun it. He whirled the craft around, but was greatly alarmed to find that their route of escape was blocked by the surrounding hills. 
The dark cloud base moving swiftly overhead cut off the possibility of climbing out over the top of the higher terrain. What do we do? That tornado is getting closer! Joe shouted. We'll have to head for the ground, the pilot replied grimly. I love all of this. That, like, of course the boys make a mistake of getting in a helicopter and a tornado shows up in a hilly area. Yeah, like of New York, of upstate New York. <laughs> upstate New York. I, that's not their mistake. That's tornado. That's not, you can't pin that on Frank because that is not a mistake. I would do that exact same thing. And I'm be a nervous like, guy. It's going to be just fine to fly in a helicopter in upstate New Last thing on my mind. <laughs> last thing on my mind. What I like is that the tornado splits into two and you think it's going to be okay, but then one of them takes off right after them. It's it's like Twister. I would yeah. be, I would be like this dude totally ripped off Twister, but then I remembered Twister. This was, was written a lot like longer. Yeah, after that. they they bring the helicopter down. It's fine. And Nobody Joe does. says, "Wow, I hope that never happens to me again." And I'm like, "I don't think it will." But then again, it happened once. You will probably see another tornado up close before you die. Uh, right? Uh, before. I bet you in one of these other books, there's another tornado. Oh yeah. And Some... then Frank's gonna be like. Remember the time when you wished it wouldn't happen to you again, Joe? Back in the great airport mystery, and it's all, like, italicized. Do they do that? Yeah, at the end of the books, but sometimes they're, like, in the last one, there was something about a car, stolen car, and they're, like, in the Shore Road mystery, and, like, in the recap, but it's all capitalized and italicized. Well, that's good. That's yeah. advertising. It makes got to market go back the and read that. And like, well, I gotta find that one at my local library and or school library. After they, the guy's checking out the helicopter to make sure that it's okay to fly. It's fine. They decide to just go snooping around. And like oh wait here's the here's the here's the racist part yes they snoop around like si- a couple of Indians silently as Indians yeah. yeah that's been used before it's mm. not great it's a little racist it's a little racist it's one of those like awkward there it's trying to be a positive trait but that doesn't make it any better right yeah strong as the Turks right. uh you know I don't do know. they do that too. They do weird stuff like that all the time that I'm like, I didn't even know that that was a stereotype. Hey, once you say it, it is. It is. Right. That's true. Uh, But while the boys are snooping around, they get cornered by the loud, angry deaf guy from earlier. Anchor. Uh, They find that guy and then another guy and they get like cornered with hunting arrows. Arrows, yeah. And they, I like that their strategy is to be like, cool, we're out. Yeah. They just clear out. And then they silently sneak like Indians. There's nothing you can do with that. To, uh, yeah, after they've left, they sneak around. And while they're snooping around, then after they've left these uh, these crooks, they find... I thought this was actually so cool. I was like, that's actually really cool. The cave? But the cave. You thought that was cool? I wrote, that's a Looney Tunes thing. They, what, yeah, yeah, I don't that's, think that's what, what they're going for. But no, I don't think so I don't either. know cool is the same thing. I thought it was cool because like... Because you're a Looney Tunes fan, but when you're actually reading it no, as a piece of literature, right. it's kind of like... But I, I can't anymore. So when okay. I'm reading these and something wacky like that, I'm like, ha, 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 that's so cool. No, this wouldn't trick anybody. What they find, well, I'll just read it. Approaching still closer, the Hardys were amazed to see what really confronted them. Spread across a portion of the steep slope was a huge piece of heavy canvas. Painted on its surface were trees, grass, boulders, and bits of brush. The representation was so well done that it was not detectable unless viewed from within a few feet of canvas. Okay. What's the name of that, um, that trapter, though? Amazing camouflage. Which is weird. I know. I hate the giving it away. At yeah, the but third... also it's like it's fantastic cam. I mean, come on. Why wouldn't Joe? he just, yeah, say, just say amazing camouflage? It's amazing cam. Yeah, you want like Frank to nudge him and be like amazing. And then the, the next part, which was really cool, was in that little coyote steps up yeah. and then walks into the canvas. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, and they're like, if, oh, and it's not like, a canvas. Whoa. 
I was thinking, if these guys are so good at painting landscapes that they can trick somebody three feet away into thinking they're in reality, why aren't they doing, like, set painting for theater or, like, Because just then they can make lots of money. Yeah, that's a good point. No, I'm just saying, like, it seems like one of them has the skill to do something other than crime. I think there's another book in there, and I think it's oh. about a, a, a disgruntled, about... A an artist, an artist who just didn't, just never made, never quite made it. Yeah, and then he has the opportunity to like anchor. paint his, yeah, to yeah. paint his, and uh, he just signs his masterpiece. And 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 then he has, he's with these bad guys. He's like, oh, I'm deaf, and I don't, I feel like I don't do anything for you guys. And then the other guy's like, you we, need, the... we need a canvas of brush and treats. To well, cover couldn't this cave. we put like real brush in front of the cave? No, no, no. We're in the woods. We don't have any. Well, <laughs> we have this canvas though, and we have an artist, and that's where you come in, anchor. You called me an artist. <laughs> Thank you. They inside the cave. They found they find like all the loot and the plane the that plane. Uh, Clint Hill's plane, right? Where he disappeared. That the plane that went down, or the, no, yeah. his plane. It wasn't the plane that went down because that thing was in. That's room. so confusing. Yeah, but it but was anyway, Clint Hill's plane. Clint Hill, the missing pilot or dead and, pilot, and all the stuff that's all the not plutonium, platinum, platinum that's missing. Slightly less dangerous to smuggle than plutonium. So but. one would think, I included that that mm-hmm. should be the end. And I'm like. Right. Bad guys caught. Bad guys stuff found. Found the even the motive getaway. I mean, like, and we know what the motive was. Yep, I was thinking profit. Awesome, done. Yeah, I agree with you. This seems like the end. Uh So, if you had another sixty pages to fill, what would you fill them with? What would be happening? Yeah, if you, as a writer, like, Um, what would you do at this point when you're realizing that there's still sixty pages left? Well, aside from going deeper into the anchor story and his art, his his art, yeah, his artistic life. Um, well. Of course we don't know. Of course we don't know about the ghost. Yeah, that's true. So there's that. Um, I would probably have because we know that there are a lot more bad guys. Yeah, um, there are a bunch more bad guys, or we assume that there pretty are pretty much more bad everyone guys. we've met. Um, this also is right where we uh, get to first meet the most inept fucking police officers in the world. Yeah, because they they show up. Like oh and, good job boys and they're and they and they're like well you guys keep and do your do in your investigating we'll just stand out here outside the cave so what I would do is I would have some of those other bad guys come up come, mm-hmm. come in and kill the helicopter pilot yeah torture and kill like Tarantino style the cops yeah uh, kill everyone in the cave except the Hardy Boys and then make them watch uh, the bad guys would make. Would make the Hardy Boys watch the bad, watch the other bad guys torture the, their brother. Yeah, so it would be to get no, for no information. No, just seriously, like you, you totally fucked our shit up. Yeah, you made us now. Kill cops. This is what happens. This is all your fault. This is what happens. Yeah, let's see how much. Let's see how many of your body parts we can cut off without you dying. Mm-hmm. That's that's how I do it. Pretty dark. I like it. I mean, I think they've they've put their foot in some business that they had no business messing around with. Oh, yeah, and absolutely. So they need to pay. I also did not understand why the cops were just like, all right, boy. Well, they're the Hardy Boys, though. They know better. They're like, look, the fastest way to get this crime solved and get everybody home is just let the but Hardy the Boys do their didn't thing. didn't do any. I mean, no, they, they did not. Anything. They literally put handcuffs on guys. They, they, they were like, we'll, stuff up. we'll call your boss. They're basically, they, they, they work for U-Haul, the, these cops. One of the only... Yeah, they're cops that work for U-Haul. Yeah, that's basically like what they did. Loaded up the helicopters. And yep. That's it. They call the boss, and the boss, Mr. Allen, the guy we like, and yeah. he flew out there 
on his own in a helicopter. And that was one of the only even close to emotionally resonant moments in when he any, sits in that plane. Yeah, he sees that it's Clint's plane and he climbs into the cockpit and he just sits in it and the boys like stand around. It's really awkward. And then they just realize like, they're like, what is he doing in there? And they realize like, oh, he's very sad. Yeah. His friend is dead. Yeah. And, was, and that's the end of the chapter. It's it just him. Really, it was really sad. I mean, I felt bad for Mr. Allen. Again, Mr. Allen is, so maybe I, I mean, I'd let Mr. Allen go in my yeah. version. Yeah, he'll, he'll live through this. But no, it was one of those moments where I was like, wow. Way to go, Hardy Boy. You actually, like, managed to pluck a heartstring for a second. Yeah. Because I'm like, it's probably... I I, I felt it. I felt it. I had Um, a tear. We're in the final stretch. Because then it goes crazy. Oh, that's right. Because Uh, up to now, I was like, all right. It's clearly, clearly different writers. Yeah. And it's the end. And then they're like, it's not the end. We still have some other things. We're going to go to an island. Oh, yeah. So at first they snoop around the cabin again. And they find a note that says, that ghost knows too much. And just like, why would you write that down? And they find, and they're, they're looking all over the place and no, they don't find anything. And then they find the glove with the initials in it. Right. Glove with a monogram glove. I, I monogram all my clothes. I don't know if you do. Just my underwear. Just your underwear. You got to make sure that someone finds your underwear. Uh, they know whose it is. They go back to the airfield. I don't remember exactly why, but they're just walking across the hangar. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden there's this like, Pink, 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 as something rolls in front of them. Oh, yeah, that's that. This is where I was like, it's the end of the mystery. All right. And they're going back to like do some final wrap up at the airplane hangar. And all of a sudden, grenade. It's a grenade. Pink, pink, pink. They couldn't, they couldn't think. No, but that's, that's awesome. It's like grenade. One of them's going to get blown up. I thought one of the Hardy Boys was going to die. No, you got to stop thinking that's going to happen, man. This I, is like. I, I just walk into this as a book. I don't walk into it as, as a, a series. Like an entire no, series. Yeah, it would be so much Joe better. Joe could die. Too. And then like, wouldn't it be a great series if it was like Frank as a detective who's haunted by the ghost of his dead brother? Oh, yeah. Wouldn't you watch that like show? A, it sounds like a late 80s movie. Yeah. Yeah, and you'd I watch think that. it's one of the movies that would have killed Michael Keaton's career. Oh, sure. Before Birdman revived it. I think that would have been great. And then it would all have been about like his brother trying to like help his older brother lose his virginity or something. Like as a ghost? Yeah, yeah as a ghost. Really like cool. a little bit of like ghost Cyrano thing yeah. going on. But the ghost is in love with the girl. But Dude, he can't got, do it. No, he, but he can't he do can't it. can't do it. Dude, we got a screenplay here. We all got to right, write all, all right, this all down. Right, okay. going to steal it. Uh, yeah, now they will. The grenade is nothing. Yeah, it blows up, but they're fine. Yeah. No, and they don't even like, again, don't piss their pants or anything. They're like, huh, another grenade, guys. Twice in one lifetime. I'm sure they'll have more grenades thrown at them. So you haven't encountered any grenades? It was a fake. It was an, the last grenade that got thrown through one of their windows was a dud. But like Joe ran over and grabbed it. And I was like, Joe did that? I think that's a Frank thing. And then threw it out the window and then they went outside and kicked it a bit to find out if it was live. Hmm. That's not a good, that's not a good, not a good strategy. That probably wasn't Frank's idea. No, probably not. Yeah, so they decide, they found out something is in the Caribbean. Like, the bad so, guys might be in the Caribbean. I forget how they figured it out. But then they're like, we're going to go to this We're going to go to the, yeah. There's 30 pages left in the book at this and point. Like, they didn't go to California. They're not going to this island. Right. Absolutely not. But they They do. fucking do. And and it takes them three hours to get there. Right. And, it's and a, they've and got, I, like, and I totally, this is the only research bodyguards. they did. Yeah, they did get big, big, like, strapping. Strapping bodyguards. Late 20s, early 30s, like, bodyguards. With good, firm handshakes. Yeah. And then the parent, and then the mom was totally worried. And and I I Googled it, and, and it's not, it doesn't exist, that island. 
Yeah, the I, I Isle de la Mer. Yeah, the which Ile, is Ile. Ile. So is that the island of the sea? Is yeah. that what that translates yeah. into? It's, it's bad. I mean, especially yeah. not even season. Yeah, like, exactly. Don't call it that. Don't call the island. Well, maybe it did exist. That's why I couldn't find it. Oh, it right. existed it's been wiped and it Yeah, there we go. But uh, so it's this tropical ter- Caribbean island, three hours from New York, and they they <laughs> they fly there and. Um, they, it's too rocky, so they have to land on the to, ocean they have and to anchor the the amphibious plane. And then they get the inflatable raft, go to, another, go to a little cabin on the beach, and find a very important clue. Very important clue. They find an air chart that says we're going to Montana. Yeah, that's like a line straight from the Caribbean island back to Bayport <laughs> and then out to Montana. And they're like, to Montana. And they're like, we can go to Montana from here, from the Caribbean, right? In this, in this little... And the guy's uh, like, with a few, full tank? Sure. Especially since we got all this extra air, uh, airplane gas. Fuel, fuel. That was just in giant drums at the So that cabin. takes all morning. Yeah, exactly. So, okay, this was something that confused me. They loaded 50-gallon metal drums of jet fuel onto an inflatable raft and then rode that out to the plane? I, th- I, I think whoever wrote the first part didn't tell the guy who took over writing the that second they had part that they had done that because – they're like they're kids. They won't. They won't. They won't remember that. that. They, they they got fuel. That's yeah. all they need to know. So they got fuel and they uh, enough to get to Montana. Right. And they get out to the plane and they're gonna take the plane off. And but then another storm, storm. Another storm. Big old storm. They're like the weather looks good. We and shouldn't have coolest, any problems. And the coolest part. Oh god. What's the what's the pilot's name at this point? The, Jerry. The pilot is Madden. Yeah. Jerry Madden. Jerry Madden. Yeah. And so and so Frank is like. No, I'm totally gonna take the raft and I'm gonna and I'm gonna pull the plane out and 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 make it secure. And then he's like, "You can't do that, Frank." Yeah, he's like, You're, "Oh the, yeah, the, the raft is just gonna just gonna get wiped out." And he's like, "No, I can do it." Like and four strokes in, the raft gets wiped out, and Frank's like, "Oh man, Jerry, you're so totally right. I should not have done that." So what I didn't understand about that is that there's these two strapping like bodyguards with them the whole time yeah, that aren't like that. When G- Frank's like, "I'm gonna jump out and tie these ropes to some big rocks," and Jerry's like, "You can't. You're gonna die." If only we had strong dudes with us, right? But none of those dudes like. Grab Frank and just pin him to a seat, and they're like, "No, sir, I we're here to protect you." No, no. at no point they they're, just sit. they're just here to beat people up, <laughs> right? But they yeah, they don't even do that. So yeah, I that was the dumb mistake that Frank's so confident in his ability. He didn't make four strokes into that water. <laughs> he's like, oh. "That raft was history." He's like, "Oh, I'm so sorry, guys. I'm so sorry." Like, in I retrospect, re- I really right. thought I could do it. <laughs> it was really clear. Uh, I, no, I, but you're I, right. I, I envisioned was... me on shore yanking the plane back, and I did not make it happen. Yeah, he gets like a 15 feet from the plane. He's like, oh, this is so hard. Um, so, but they managed to like get the engines fired up basically by Jerry saying like, I'm going to try something a little crazy. <laughs> I'm going to start the plane. <laughs> <laughs> he flips some switches and starts the engine. He's like, "All right, we'll go." Oh, that worked. That that worked, guys. We're so they, we're, in, we're in control. So they like get up in the air, and he's like, "All right, are we ready to go to Montana?" He's like, "We don't have any fuel." Yeah. So they wait out the storm. Then they end up pass. What? Is this when? Yeah. And then they wait. And they end up all passed out on the beach. Yeah. They sleep just there the night. They sleep on the beach in the yeah because the storm goes away as soon as it needs to for the story, and then they have to do the fuel thing again. Which I'm like, you just did this. Yeah. But, but clearly fine. Yeah, they're fine. Everybody's fine. Way, on their way to Montana. We're flying yeah. to Montana. They have an area. And, and yeah, well, I don't know. They have a like a map drawn and then yeah. and then they're like, I'm sure it's somewhere here in Montana. Right. <laughs> That's all we know. They look out so, the windows. Look out look through all the mountain yeah. of my Montana and right. look for a flat 
part, a flat part where a plane might land. And I wrote and then three, like, two, one. Whoa, there it is. <laughs> there that, it is. That is it. Doesn't take long and at I all. I think whoever took over the writing for the for the Dixon at this point, they just they just pictured Montana on the map and thought, it's like a mountainy area, right? Yeah, I'm sure people could find a flat part on that. It's all mountains. So if there's a flat part, yeah, that's it's gotta like be jagged, the cabin. jagged rocks. They could find a landing strip, and they did. Yeah. And they land the plane. They're like, we're going to go trespass in this cabin we saw from the air. And this is this is the mistake. This is yes. the big mistake. And I don't think it's Frank's. I don't think it was Frank's fault. So, it's totally Joe's. I don't remember exactly how it how it goes down. They um they there's there with the shelves with the food, and then on the top of the shelf there's this thing. I don't remember what it is that they oh, lift right. up and they stand by the shelf. They like overpower the bad guys and tie them up. Who the are two, in the, the cabin? The two bad guys, yeah. Peterson and Lair or something. Yeah, yeah. To to the bad guys, and they're like, you know. Tell us everything. And one of the crooks is like, all right, all the information you need is in that metal right. thing on the top of that shelf. And I'm like, thanks, crook. I'm sure you're – thank you. Thank you. Thanks for turning turning around and really helping us out. Yeah. They walk over and drop through a fucking trap door. Yeah, as soon as they touch the thing. And, but Joe even is like, Frank, can you come over and help me get this? See, it's Joe's fault. It is Joe's fault. And so they fall through the trap door and immediately – get gassed. Who built this? I don't know. But Why did the crooks build a trap door with a gas release well, in it? Later like, Peterson, they're not super villains. But later Peterson reveals that he used to hunt there with his dad. Right. But what? So like what? That, he didn't tell us what he was. Maybe he was like hunting, hunting people. Jews. Right. You're right. It's the well. It's sort of like when at one point Chet's pretending to be a ghost and he goes in his dad, like he goes into his parents' room, yeah, and he Chet's comes there. out with these white sheets. We forgot about that. And I really thought that at some point it was going to be him being like, "I found these this sweet ghost costume in my dad's closet," and like, "Woo!" Yeah. But uh, that luckily that part was was a sway. Yeah, Chet comes with them. I, I forgot. For, we forgot to mention Chet's with him. Chet comes and with them Chet. to the Caribbean and to Montana. Yeah. Because he can do a voice. Oh right, he can That's do. That's why he they're can, like that voice might be able to come in. Might be, might come in handy. He can Chet. hop on board to the. Caribbean he can like with us. perfectly mimic the vote, the voice of the ghost over the radio yeah. and singing high that that song. high tower high passage. I can't the, remember the, what the, the song that I. So the brothers they're trapped in the, the trap brothers' door? party are out of out out of play. They're in the they're in the dungeon. They are gassed. Yeah, for, I, I thought they were dead. I thought they were completely dead at that point, and that was the end of the Hardy Boys. End of the Hardy books. Boys. Yeah, they've been trapped in gas. But then another plane comes in for a landing, and the hey, the the bodyguards and Chet and the pilot are like, "Let's hide." And they, they hide. They hide their plane. Then the guys land and see the plane right away. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, "Oh, there's another plane here." But Chet's plan is weird. Chet's like, "They don't know who I am." One of them does. Yeah. One of them totally fought him in an alleyway. Right. Maybe that guy's in the cabin. Maybe that was. I Clint. think that was, It was one of the dudes in. Game, yeah, I think. I didn't so, know. Um, but his whole plan is like, I'm gonna tell. I'm gonna him. make him think that it was it was a double cross. Yeah, and he basically says, like, if it's if this is a double cross, and the guys are like, oh man, it must be a double cross. And then they start like brawling with each other. Yeah, because then Peterson and the other guy are are then not tied up, and they run out of the cabin, and then the bad guys just start beating each other up. Yeah, because they think that they've all double-crossed each other. Chet runs into the cabin and is like, I don't see Frank and Joe. Where are they? And one of the crooks is like, they're in a trap door. Trap door. Yep. <laughs> the oh. other crooks are like, dude. It's like, well. Well, we were caught. We were caught. <laughs> Might as well. Yeah. Um, and so he, uh, so they let him out, and they're like, you know, they've been gassed. And he's like, oh, it's harmless. But it's harmless. Yeah. Don't worry. They're not dead. 
why? Why did you have this thing? Is yeah, this your... and if you're going to use gas on your bad guy, on, on the people who are trying to find you out, kill them. Kill them. Use mustard gas down there. Right. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to go to all the trouble to rig up a that, – that's the thing, though, is like it's a trap door that goes into a room that locks and then fills with gas just to knock you out. This is a cabin that you take, like, victims to. Yeah. Yeah. That's what or, I was thinking. I yeah. think his – I think the, the guy, Peterson – they were he's, hunting he's the most like dangerous game. He's like a Nazi or something. Yeah, he was definitely trapping folks. Um, but they let him out. There's this big, long wrap-up. Peterson just lets it go. He's like, I am tired of being a villain. I'm going to tell you guys because I know you only have five pages left. I'm going to tell you everything. God, it went on and on. And then they get home. They go to check in with Mr. Allen once they finally get home and let him know like all the great stuff. And they find out that Clint Hill... Is alive and bearded. Yes, and has a beard, which apparently which just is called... in the 30s and the 50s. That is something. That is, yeah, he because, grew a full beard. I mean, oh. that that says a lot about a character. It either says you're homeless, yeah, or it says you have amnesia. You're, yeah, you're like a dude who hops trains. But then he talks. Then when he's talking about how when he survived that plane crash that they all thought he died in, mm-hmm. he talks about how he went to Isla de del Mar. Yes, and the natives found him. And they only spoke their native language. As you know, Peterson and I and our passengers crashed at sea during a return flight from Illa del Mare. After we hit the water, the three mineral, all mineralogists, mineral, I'm really tired. That's why I didn't know that word. Drowned almost instantly. Peterson took the one available life raft and left me clinging to the wing of the plane. I was slightly injured and couldn't swim after him. What did Peterson hope to gain by abandoning you? Frank asked curiously. As he paddled off in the raft, he shouted to me that now he would become chief pilot of Stanwide and that he would fix Mr. Allen. Then I fainted. I must have unconsciously clung to a piece of wreckage because next thing I knew I was on the island being cared for by some natives. They spoke only their own language, which I couldn't understand. Luckily, the natives were friendly, Frank said. Oh, yes, Clint replied. After I recovered, they took me to another, bigger island in a dugout canoe. It was there that I managed to get a job and earn enough money to buy boat passage back to the United States. I decided to keep my identity a secret and stay in hiding until I found out what Peterson was up to. I didn't even get in touch with Mr. Allen. I wanted to be sure of my ground before making any accusations. When did you decide to become a ghost? Asked Joe, grinning. I knew Peterson was superstitious. That's good. You can, uh, you can end there. It goes, it goes on. Yeah. If you want to keep going, but no, but that's plenty. But but that Mr. Allen last line. Yeah. So yeah, he tells him that he can have his job back as a pilot, but you want to read Mr. Allen's last line? That is... If our ghost gets around to shaving off those whiskers. But what they didn't put in at the end is everyone laughing. And then freeze frame like at the end of an A-Team episode. Yeah. Like they like, should all be in <laughs> Yeah. Or like Murder, or, uh, Murder She Wrote has yeah. those where Jessica's like tipping back her head laughing, showing all of her teeth. A-Team is the same show. Yeah. It is the same show. I watched A-Team. You watched Murder, She Wrote. They're the same. Well, that was a particularly fun Hardy Boys adventure. Do you have any final thoughts? No, my final thought was about the whiskers. Yeah, I was like, can't have and a bearded pilot. Mr. Allen 
just drops the mic after that one. Oh! He's like, I'm funny. Bam. And then you gotta walk out of the room. Yeah, and he was so sad. I'm happy that there's that to him too. Thank you so much for joining me, Josh. I hope oh, you have thanks you back. for having me. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this thing back. No, you keep that. That is yours. That is your memento for, uh, for being on the show. Each episode, we have one of our favorite bartenders mixes up a custom cocktail to go along with the book. Today's drink was created by Tracy Ann Hickman and William Joseph Chapman III at Racine's. The recipe for the drink is available at thehardyboysdrinkbook.com. Enjoy! Okay, I am here at Racine's with Tracy Ann Hickman and William Joseph Chapman III. Damn straight. That's right. Okay, great. I love, the, I love your names because they are right out of the, out of the Hardy Boys. Absolutely. Oh, it's boy. like they went to the mansion of William Joseph Chapman III. Um, so I love that. Uh, you are good friends of our host of this episode, Josh mm-hmm. Hartwell. Yes. Absolutely. And he and Jim have been coming in here for a long time. How long have they been here? Oh my god, I think since the place opened, I'm sure. I'm sure. I mean, it's, if not the old restaurant. Rest Racine has been open for thirty over 30 years now. Yeah. And they've been coming to this location for 14 years since it opened here. That's great. Um, from our previous location on Bannock Street. And we were talking about the, uh, the large presence of the theater community mm-hmm. in Racine's. You usually can't come into Racine's for lunch or dinner without seeing somebody that you will know from Absolutely. Theater. It's definitely the meeting and the shaker, or they say the meet and greet and the shakers of the high-profile people of Denver during lunch. A lot of business deals go down here, and it's also a really relaxed place where people just come and grab a bite to eat, too. It's, yes, the food is very good at Racine's. You know, it's not just serious business lunch. It's also casual lunch as well. So a mix of everyone. So Josh told me that not only are you his favorite bartenders, but you're also best friends. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I have. Uh, so what is it like being best friends to bartend together? Oh, us bartending together yeah. is the most fun ever. Yeah, the most fun. <laughs> yeah, it's just like playing at work. You know, we That's hang great. out, we have dance parties, like chat it up, you know, and I think people could tell that we're friends and that we have a good time, so that's always really awesome. So, I would be remiss if I didn't ask, do you have any secret codes? Like, if there's a customer that, like, is following one of you guys around the bar and not stopping talking to you, do you have, like, signals to get each other out of situations like the Hardy Boys? Usually it'll be something like I'll walk behind her and just, like, tap her shoulder, and it's, like, our signal of, like, something's going on. Yeah. You know, <laughs> we can figure out, like, and then we then it's a game, too, like, who we can figure out which one it is. And we, yeah. So we know, like, we play off each other into, into that. That's great. Okay, what would you do if one of you got kidnapped? What would be the game plan? Oh, one of us got kidnapped? God. Yeah. This is right up our alley. This okay. Is. Are you kidding me? Well, first of all, I would put her picture on a bottle of wine because we'd probably, Great. Be fat, <laughs> probably find her faster. Yes, we'd definitely. probably find me faster you put it on a bottle of whiskey. Yeah, yeah. that's the truth. Print custom labels. Um, no, we, well, we know this neighborhood so well, I would... I would know exactly where to go to find her. That's great. You know, I would. I would the clues would be too easy. Yeah, Way too easy. That's fantastic. I think that's pretty much the, the game plan: is the whiskey, find the jeep. <laughs> where's the Where's the margaritas this week? You would just want like a trail of margarita mix. Yeah, absolutely. You went this way. You went this way. Well, in Capitol Hill, there's only like four places that we hang out, so there you go. We're probably pretty easy to find. Okay, that's great. I like that because. Yeah, and the, and the Hardy Boys, when somebody gets kidnapped, they're like, "We have we checked the caves? He's in the caves. Mm-hmm. And then they go to the caves, and he's always there. So he's, like, up in the attic. He's been up there the whole the whole mystery. 
So what is the history of Racine? Racine was started by three partners. It's Lee Goodfriend, David Racine, and Dixon Staples. And their first restaurant was where Andy's is now on Colfax. Okay. And that was Goodfriend. So that they all worked at Zach's, which is kind of on Colfax. I don't think it's there anymore, but that was like the original bar. So it was, it was like Back us. in the 70s. Okay. So they were just friends that bartended together and decided to start a restaurant. So And then one of them got top billing. Well, Lee Goodfriend, okay. she got top billing. Great. And then Racine's was their second restaurant, so then Racine's. And then Dixon's was downtown, okay. which isn't there anymore, so we're the last one. The last surviving. Mm-hmm. So that's probably the best. It is. Yeah. yeah. I think so. Yeah. Okay. Although before I worked here, I used to frequent Dixon's downtown quite often. Yeah, but that, that was my been. that was my romping ground. Well, before. I mean, it's like it's in the family. Yeah, yeah. absolutely that, that it is. That works. Uh, so what is your I, obviously you guys love bartending together what is your favorite thing about bartending I think it's the interaction with people it's constantly on the go 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 there's always yes. things to do I love making drinks for people and especially when we get going and we're really working hard in the wells making drinks mm-hmm. people love to watch it and it's kind of like you're on stage yeah I know you know yeah, you're a little bit on great. stage and they're they just look in amazement of how you're just grabbing all these different ingredients mm-hmm. and you pour it in a glass and it fits the glass perfectly and then you just like move on to the next one. They're right. like, how is this happening? How do they know how much they're pouring and how much of this and how much of that? And, so, and it's, it's just a lot of fun. It's an interaction with It's people. always different. You know, you get to meet people all the time. Where are you from? Well, we get a lot of people who come on vacation and business because of the hotels in the area. They send mm-hmm. them over here. So that's always fun to just meet new people. And, you know, I don't know how people, like, sit in office and don't talk all the day. I would get in so much trouble well, then if they, I worked in an office. Then after work, they go out to the bars, hopefully. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's where they're, you know, and then they talk to the bartender. And yeah, that's true. That's the person they met. And our bar is, I would say, made up majority of the people that come to our bar are regulars that come frequent here three, two, three, four times a week. That's great. And it, it cre- just creates an atmosphere of a cheers, mm-hmm. you know, where we've got a Norm on one end and we've got a Carla running around as well. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I used to work at this bar and we had a trivia machine on it and you could tell that it was like a regulars bar because... You knew every single name on the, on the high trivia school machine. Oh, yeah. trivia machine. They were all sitting at the bar, Watching mocking you. you while you tried to beat their high scores. Well, I feel one of the best part about our regulars too is that you see it all the time. They they end up talking to each other and making friends with each other. So I think that's a really like good sign of a good bar when your regulars all kind of come together and make friends. Yeah, that's great. Let's talk about actually this fantastic drink that you made. All right. So it's a Moscow Mule with a twist. It's absolutely delicious. Why don't you walk through the recipe? Uh, so this is called our Colorado Mule, and you can only find it here at Racine's. Uh, so what we use is we use local Covaca uh, Co, and it's a twist on Colorado vodka. Okay. So we use that. We use local uh, ginger shrub, um, which is kind of a fermented ginger syrup that we put it, add to the drink. With some fresh lime, uh, simple syrup, and soda water to create the fizziness of a ginger beer, all served in the copper mug. So again, twist on the Moscow Mule, but it's our own little take on it, where we're actually making our own ginger beer by putting all these ingredients together. And it's so easy. I don't know why more people don't do it. Mm-hmm. It's literally simple syrup and some juice yeah. and filled with soda, and you've got your own soda, you know. But uh, it, it makes the drink so much better and fresher yeah. and just like um, so much simple I'm going to take a, a sip and pretend like I usually do like I haven't been sipping in the whole <laughs> and it is what the thing that is so good about it is that usually when I see somebody's putting a shrub ingredient in a drink 
I'm like, it's going to taste like Easter eggs. Yep. And this doesn't, I don't even get the slightest hint of that vinegar. Yeah, that vinegary fermented from flavor. The, uh, yeah, yeah, it's perfectly balanced with that simple syrup. Because by itself, it is potent. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. It is potent, and it can over, and if it's not made properly, it can definitely overpower the drink. But if it's balanced right with the simple and the soda, then it definitely comes out, comes across just right. Yes. Oh. And yeah, it's so good. And that, and I love a little burst of lime. Um, I, I also like the large chunks of actual lime with the meat on it that you mm. muddled into the drink. It's fantastic. Fresh cut daily limes. Okay, that's great. Yeah, <laughs> all ingredients. Fresh. And if we, if it has, if we have a drink in our menu that has lime juice or it has lemon juice in it or orange juice. We muddle the fruit into the drink every single time. That's great. We don't just buy a lime juice or buy a lemon juice that we just use. Let it sit down there two, three years. um, But we actually like just the the freshness of fresh cut limes every day that we just muddle into the drink. And it really changes the And we leave them in the drink too so that you can see that it does have fresh juice in the drink. Well, it is absolutely lovely. I'm going to enjoy drinking the rest of it. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Absolutely. Thanks for having us, for sure. The Hardy Boys Drink Book Podcast is a part of their network. It is produced by Jack and Charles Wesso. Music is provided by Danny Overby at Round 2 Production. Photography and graphic design are by Kristen Hallstrom. Special thanks to Josh Hartwell and to Tracy Ann Hickman and William Joseph Chatton III at Racines. If you like the show, leave a review on iTunes. And remember to tune in next time for The Hardy Boys Drink Book, Episode 10, What Happened at Midnight, featuring Mike Marlowe.